Good evening. I picked out those, those slides and I showed Paige and she saw the arrows and was like, oh, it's a sermon on recycling. Great. <laughs> it is a blessing to be here and to worship together. We are going to be in Luke 3. Luke 3. I also just want to take this time to just thank everyone for all their support with uh, Paige and I as we had uh, Annie Jo, our newborn, and all the people that are expecting and also had new additions to their family. It really does show everyone's love and care for each other. And uh, pray for me because I'm now the only dude in the house. <laughs> Even the cat's a girl. But... <laughs> One of the many things that we look for in life is this genuineness. Whether it's perfect or not, we want it to be real and honest. And this is true for the most part, as long as that certain thing is good. For example, an archaeologist will want to find an artifact that is real and authentic. A CEO, when he starts his business, is going to want to see real growth and profits. Fool's gold, as we know, is worthless. but. We even know of some foolish people that died for real gold. No one wants to be in a relationship with people who are never honest. No one wants to be loved by someone who doesn't really love them back. And we can pretend we like this fantasy world or this world that we build around ourselves, but in the end it's something real that we truly crave. We really want to feel something. And that's something we're all searching for. And John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 is given this mission, a mission to preach what is real and really coming and actually going to happen and actually did happen. And in verses 4 through 6, the writer reminds us of a prophecy in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. But if we look at verse, verse 4 of Luke 3, it tells of a man crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall be level ways. And all shall see the salvation of God. Valleys filled. Mountains made low. John is making a clearing so that the people can see the salvation of God. And when we read this a little deeper, from what this passage is describing, it's describing what's going to happen is a lot of real change. Change that seems scary, change that seems impossible, but completely wonderful. Why? Verse 6. So that we can see the salvation of God. So let's dive into this message by John the Baptist. Read with me starting with verse 7. Verse 7 of Luke 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you wo who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You can tell from this text that John is serious about the message that he's preaching, and he packs a punch with the words that he's using. He believes, truly believes, that what he's saying is true, and this message was really, really resonated with many of the people, and it should resonate with us today. 
the key phrase I want us to focus on in this passage, and that will really be the theme of this lesson tonight, is in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And this is a weird way that ESV is saying, basically, go out and do what proves your repentance. Prove your repentance. In order to bear fruit, as it says, we have to be doing good things, righteous things, that are the will of God. A good and healthy tree is one that produces fruit. So what are we producing in our life? What are we doing? What yields production in our life? Because our life can look like a, a fruit tree. It can seem healthy, but on the inside, it's dying and decaying, and it has root rot. And it's not producing what it needs to survive. Repentance, when we look at this word in the Greek, means the change of mind. It's a 180 in our life. Repentance is the moment one realizes their faults and their sins against God, gets off that path, onto the narrow way toward God, a path of righteousness that produces good fruit and that one would expect from a healthy life and have service for God. And in the modern world, for modern men and women today, it's easy to become jaded to this idea of repentance. It's difficult sometimes to realize that we're doing anything wrong at all. We live in a culture of morals largely, quote, largely influenced by Christian principles. And so we might hear people say, I'm a good and moral person. Why do I need to repent? Why do I need God? And we've turned repentance into this act we do, this step we take, or this box we just check off. And it's not this emotional transformation that doesn't desire the things that are wicked, but instead desires us to steer us closer and closer and closer to Christ. And so the question is, how do we produce fruit in our lives that prove our repentance? And that's exactly what the people listening to John say to him or ask him in verse 10. So the crowd's asking him, what then should we do? And listen to what John says in the following verses, 11 through 14. Read with me there. And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. I find it interesting that John doesn't tell the tax collectors to stop being tax collectors because it's a sinful institution and they should stop collecting tax. Or even furthermore, to tell the soldier to stop being a soldier and just to put the sword away. He doesn't do that. Instead, in verse 11, he points out that there's two types of people. There's those that have and those that don't have. We look at the world, and there's those with clothes, those, don't, those with not many clothes, those with food and more than enough food, and then there's those that are starving. So what do we do? He's not telling us to be one or the other, or if we don't have anything to take from those that have. But what is he telling us in verse 11? To share. Share with him who has none. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 26, verse 11, that there will always be the poor, but that doesn't mean we don't do anything, that it's pointless to even try and help people. Instead, if we turn over to Matthew 26, we find that it's more important to be realistic, to get involved in people's lives. 
we find that one of the ways that we can prove our repentance is to be genuine with people and to truly help those who are struggling and make a change in their life. We see this as an example if we read Matthew 26. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 26. Keep a marker in Luke 3. But Matthew 26, we begin in verse 6, and we can really learn something from the woman in this story and Jesus. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For, they could have been, for it could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you, have all, for you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. We want to encourage change in not only our own lives, but in the lives of others. Change that will push others to see Christ and experience true repentance. Notice what the disciples say in verse 8, why this waste? And Jesus responds in verse 10, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Underline that phrase, beautiful thing. That word beautiful there isn't just for us modern people describing what we perceive as attractive or as nice. It highlights how wonderful her service was to our Savior. Service is a way of producing good fruit from a repentant heart. Service is a way of getting involved in people's lives. And when we are involved in the lives of others, then we can easily express the love that God shows us. But the thing is, when we are first repentant, we're first serving God. Nate was right this morning when he said it starts with Jesus. This service is a way that we can serve God and other people in a Christ-like manner. The fruit that we produce from serving others should glorify God because we know, we know he truly is the only one who makes a genuine change in people's lives. And so if we turn back to Luke 3 and we read about people sharing with one another in verse 11, John is encouraging them to get involved in other people's lives, helping them their needs, serving them in a way that prove our repentant hearts. The woman that we read about in Matthew 26 pouring ointment on Jesus, that was a service to him, according to verse 12. For the woman, it wasn't just some act, some random act. It was genuine service. It wasn't just a step. It was a motivation to do something differently and connect with Christ. And when we look at Christ, we can see that he got involved in people's lives. He made people his business. And that leads us to what we see John talk about to the tax collectors and the soldiers. John is associating himself with people who many would consider wicked and unclean and want nothing to do with them. And it's in these wicked occupations that they're called to stand out, to change, to be different from everyone else in those positions that people would expect to see in those occupations. Why? Because their repentance isn't just some fake act. It's a real transformation, a transformation that changes people considered by many to be beyond saving. 
But remember what John said to those who think that they're okay, that they are saved because they come from the line of Abraham? He said in Luke 3, verse 8, Do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. These people are blind. They don't understand what is important. Being a descendant of Abraham and thinking, because I'm a part of God's chosen people, all of a sudden God doesn't care about a change of heart is wrong. And for us modern people today saying, I'm a good and moral person, I don't need to repent, I don't need God, doesn't mean that we're good all of a sudden and God doesn't want to see a change of heart. They neglect to notice Psalms like Psalm 51 verses 16 through 17. When King David, out of a repentant heart, says, Certainly, God, you do not want a sacrifice, or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. A sacrifice God desires is a humble spirit, O God. A humble and repentant heart you will not reject. And yet, in Luke 3, what does John tell the tax collector and the soldier here? Let's read that again in verses 13 through 14. And he said to them, that's the tax collector, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Verse 14, soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. This is more than just doing good works. It's becoming transformed and allowing good works to come from our changed and repentant hearts. That is a fruit that glorifies God and proves our repentance. It's that type of genuine action that makes us stand out from the people of the world and to lead by an example because of the God that we serve. But we have to remember John is preaching of someone to come, someone who's going to lead us to repentance and save us from our sins. And when we read verse 15 of Luke 3, people are anticipating this Christ, this person that's going to save them. And they start to wonder, well, maybe this John person is the person... is is the Christ. And he tells them something different in verse 16. In verse 16, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This person John is talking about arrives and he baptizes Jesus in verses 21 and 22. We need to understand Jesus is the one that changes everything and ultimately changes our life. He gives color to our very gray life. He gives meaning to our deeds and the fruit that he produces, that we produce. He redeems us and justifies our repentance. He gives our repentance emotion. He transforms our heart. If we look back at Luke 3, verse 5, I know this is specifically talking about John the Baptist, but Jesus makes what's crooked straight and what's rough level because he is the salvation of God. And that's exactly what happens. The people see the salvation of God and they are moved to repentance. We are moved to repentance. But true repentance is more than just feeling sorry and then continuing sin and then apologizing and continuing the sin and apologizing and continuing the sin and doing that over because there's no real change. That's just acknowledgement of continual wrong. True repentance 
that John is talking about brings about a change in our lives that proves repentance is genuine. And we're talking about a change that desires us to have a deeper involvement with our God and a positive impact on others. A change that makes us stand out as, example, as examples in what we do. Because of the God that we serve. And tonight my prayer is that you are encouraged to go out and bear fruit that proves your repentance. And as we move into the invitation, there's two invitations. For those that are already baptized, there's an invitation to you. Repentance may have to reoccur. Sometimes we fall away and we need to reconnect with God. And it's when we do that, we strengthen our relationship with God. It's not a failure to repent again. It's humbling. But it's also great to strengthen our spiritual life. And notice what John is doing in verse 18. He preached the good news to the people. That's another act of proving our repentance. As disciples of Jesus today, we are supposed to proclaim the good news, the salvation Jesus brings us. And in Luke 24, 47, Jesus says to his disciples, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. I want to invite you to go out and proclaim the good news as proof of your repentance. And for those tonight that are not baptized, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus led the way in being baptized in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus didn't have to repent. He lived the perfect life. He did not sin, but he set the example for us to be baptized, leading the way in our faith as the founder and the perfecter. Repentance is a chance to gain, awaken, and renew our faith. And tonight, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want a relationship with Jesus, you want to get off that path on the right path and connect closer with Jesus and to be baptized, come forward now while we stand and we sing.